My goal this morning in preaching is to encourage you. Last Sunday, I talked a little bit about the new thing that God wants to do in our world, in our churches, in our families, in our homes, in us. God is forever the God of the new thing. But to receive the new thing that God is doing, we must believe that it's possible. We must trust God to help us endure today, to persevere, and sometimes we must trust God to heal us so that we can see and receive the things that he's doing. If you give up hope, if you lose faith, if you walk away, you end up dying in the wilderness. If you're so tired and weary that you can't see the new thing that God wants to bring, or if you are so fixated on the problems facing you that you can't see the resources of God, if you, if you can't do those things, believing that God is bringing a new thing becomes nearly impossible. I want to tell you a story from the Old Testament that demonstrates what I would like you to embrace this morning. Next Sunday, I'm going to talk a little more about a way out of the wilderness. But today, I want to underscore how important it is to trust, day, trust God in the days that we have here and now if we're going to step into God's future in the day that's ahead of us. It takes trust and faith now in order to inherit the promise. And I'm going to talk about what that means for today. So I think for the second time in my life, maybe the third, I'm going to preach a text from the book of Numbers. Not a book you always love to read through when you're doing your read through the Bible, I know. This is Numbers 13, and I'm going to be choosing verses starting in verse 26. You understand the setting of this particular passage. Israel has wandered in the wilderness for a little while, and now they're on their, uh, the threshold of Canaan, there's still another wandering to happen in the wilderness, but they're on the threshold of Canaan, and they're looking across the Jordan, they're looking at this land that has been promised. You understand the promise. God has promised through the patriarchs that this is their land, and now they're going to decide what they're going to do about the promise of God that they've been hearing all their lives. This is Numbers 13, 26 and following. These are, this is the report of the spies that Israel sends into the land of Canaan to decide whether they can really embrace the promise that God has given them. This is what the spies say. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Param. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is the fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. Verse 30. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. 
But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. So here we have the report. I won't take the time to read through the whole story, but here we have the report of the 12 spies who are sent to re reconnoiter, to, to check out in advance what, what this land that God is telling them is theirs, and they're supposed to bring back a report. And these 12 spies have all seen exactly the same thing. It's not like they divided up and went different ways and some saw this. They went together and they saw exactly the same thing. But there are two very different perspectives when they get back based on the same evidence. Both saw the same, reached different conclusions. One group of spies focused on the people in front of them. The other focused on the resources of God who had led them. And I'm wondering why. Why did they send these particular spies in the first place? I mean, I know the Bible story suggests that God gave them the idea of sending the spies. He also instructed them to send representative spies. So there was one spy from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Each spy represents his own tribe. And I don't know if those spies represent the perspective of the tribes or not, or if they're just 12 individual guys. I don't know that. But Moses has given the 12 spies very specific instructions. He says, go to Canaan and find out what is the land like? What are the inhabitants like? Are the cities walled or unwalled, fortified or unfortified? What's, what kind of soil, what kind of dirt is there? What kind of trees, what kind of fruit grows there? In fact, bring back some of the fruit so we can see it and taste it. But if they only grow sour grapes, what's the point, right? What's the fruit taste like? And so the spies go out and they spend 40 days investigating the land. And then they return fruit in hand. And the people assemble, the Israeli National Convention ensues, and the, and the spies report. The land is great. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. Here's the fruit of the land. The people taste the grapes, presumably, and it must have been good grapes. But the spies, most of them say, the people are powerful and big. Some look like giants to us. We felt like tiny little grasshoppers before them. And when the people hear this dismal report, they cry and they wail in discouragement and disappointment. There's an excellent land there, but we have no, no way, no means to enter it. Essentially what we have is a vision of the future and no way to get there. We can see what's desirable we just can't figure out how to get there. And I think that perhaps some of us feel that way right now. We may believe that God has a new thing for us, that God is doing a new thing. We may even have some idea what the new thing might be or might look like, but we just don't see any way of getting there. We are perhaps too tired and worn out. We are too 
depleted, or the obstacles are overwhelming, or our families are broken. We don't have the resources we once had, or our friends are missing, or... The reasons we have trouble believing that God's new thing is not accessible to us are limitless. I mean, we probably have as many reasons why we can't get there from here as we have people here. But the very first step in entering the land for Israel and the very first step in finding the new thing that God wants to do for us is to believe that it is possible for God and us together to find the way. You have to believe that. You have to believe that with the power of God and your cooperation with his grace, it is possible for you to find a way. You have to believe that you can arrive, that you can recover, that the promise of the new day really is for you, and that God will make it possible for you to arrive there if you are ever going to arrive at all. What you can't believe, you won't likely receive. Which is why Moses and Aaron fall flat on their faces when Israel starts to complain after hearing the report of these spies. They're crushed. Moses and Aaron, here they are trying to lead these people, and the people are complaining, and they're grumbling. You've heard this kind of laundry list of Israel's complaints before. We should have died in the wilderness rather than being destroyed by the sword here at the edge of Canaan. Why couldn't we have just stayed in Egypt? Why can't we go back to the way things used to be? Why can't we return to a normal, predictable way of life? Fortunately for Israel, the spies who can't see God's provision are not unanimous. Two of them, Caleb and Joshua, bring a dissenting report. Two of them, Caleb and Joshua, bring a different report. And I would suggest that you might take a moment here to reflect on the fact that the majority is not always right, and also to remember that the kingdom of God is not a democracy. We do have a king who has an opinion, who has a way, and you can try to vote him out of office if you want by choosing your own way. That election has no power. Jesus is king and will be king, right? So reflect on that when you think about how are we going to make the decision and which way to go and how to get there? There's a king who has an opinion and who has resources to take us in the direction that he wants us to go. And we would do well to pay attention to that. Two of them, Caleb and Joshua, bring a dissenting report. Here's the alternative report in Numbers 14.7. Caleb and Joshua say... The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, 
And do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Israel, however, does not want to stop their complaining. And the passage tells us that Israel considers stoning the two spies who bring the good report. How like us to demonize those we do not agree with. It's so much easier to get rid of our opponents than to deal with them honestly, isn't it? Fortunately, their idea of stoning Joshua and Caleb is not the end of the conversation because God enters the conversation with Moses. God says, how long will these people treat me with contempt? This question haunts me. I wonder, who is treating God with contempt today? Who is, who is tr treating God with contempt by not trusting him to keep his word? And what does it mean to treat God with contempt? I mean, to... To receive the promise of the Lord, to see the promise, but to be unwilling to believe that, that God can deliver the promise, that feels like the opposite of faith to me. Some of us have enough faith to believe that God will save us at the end of our lives, but not enough faith to believe that God can help us find a way through the craziness of life now or that we can trust him with our current circumstances. One kind of faith is faith for dying. The other kind of faith is faith for living. And we're going to be treating God with contempt unless we have faith for both, to believe that he will make a way for us and deliver his promise. Do you have faith for living? Faith enough to believe that God is bringing a new thing, that the new thing is possible, and that the things God promises he will in fact deliver? Caleb has that kind of faith. And this is what God says about the faith of Caleb. Verse 24, but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. The rest of Israel, other than Joshua and Caleb and their families, they're not going to see the promised land. But the two spies, the minority report, God embraces their vision and their trust in him, and they will be the ones and their, and their children to receive the promise of God. God doesn't miss this kind of faith. He sees this. He understands this. This is the kind of faith that stands strong in the face of opposition. This is the kind of faith that's rooted in a trust in God's promises. This is a kind of faith that pleases God. I, I, probably, I probably should add one small disclaimer to all of this. The faith of Caleb and Joshua is not based in their opinion or in their evaluation of the land that they saw. Their faith is based on the promise God made 
through Moses and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. It's based in the character of the God they serve. They know God and he's reliable. They see the land and it's good. And they can put together the fact that this good God would give them a good land according to his promise. And because they trust the character of God, they trust his ability to inherit the promise and to make them heirs of it. There's a difference between trusting God based on what I see and trusting God based on what I know of him. I mean, Caleb noticed that the people in the land were really, really big. Caleb noticed that the cities were fortified. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't specifically say this in the passage, but I have to believe because of the geography that they walked by Jericho, that they saw the walls of Jericho when they were doing this spying. They noticed how fortified the cities were. But the conclusion that Caleb and Joshua draw isn't, well, it's not even based on what they saw. It's based in spite of what they saw, right? They, they saw and believed beyond what their experience showed them. I think that if like Caleb and Joshua, we can have an understanding of the true power of God, that we will not get confused when it comes to receiving his promises. Now, I will grant you, especially during these years of COVID stuff, it can be confusing at times to understand what the content of God's promise really is. I mean, some Christians believe that Christians not ever be, should never get sick. And they want to take it on faith that Christians won't get sick, but not getting sick isn't something that God promises us. In fact, in James, he tells us, if you do get sick, do these things. So he anticipates that, that, we, that we will get sick. We know that, that Christians aren't exempted from physical death while in this body of flesh. In Hebrews 9, 27 says, just as people are destined once to die and after that to face the judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. We may want to believe that we'll never die of an illness, but scripture teaches us otherwise. Some people want to believe that Christians will be exempt from suffering and complex problems in this life. But we know that the road that Christians travel pretty much resembles the road that others travel, and on top of that, we're invited to pick up crosses or on that road. So we know Christians are going to have difficult days in this life. When Christians try to hang on to promises that are of their own invention, there's difficulty there. We have to make sure that the promises to which we are attaching our trust and hope are the actual promises that God has given us. And the actual promises are, see, behold, I am doing a new thing. The promise of Scripture is that if we will be light and salt in the world, that when we go to give a defense of our, of our faith, that the Holy Spirit, in the hour that we have to speak, will teach us what we have to say. 
that we can trust the work of the Spirit to enable us to be his light in this world. Those are the actual promises that we have. And God has made many similar promises to us. And I think it's just as disappointing to believe too little as it is to believe the wrong things. Maybe it's worse to believe too little, to, to not have the perspective we need to believe that God really wants to do a new thing among us. I mentioned last Sunday that at a minimum, the new thing that God is doing in the day of that prophecy was sending Jesus to be the way for us and sending the Holy Spirit, which is joy and life and energy and health, to walk with us through all of our days. These have been given so we can live inside the kingdom, so we can live as the citizens. And we know that in order to do the work of the kingdom, we must have the Holy Spirit to empower us. And so now we're in this moment of exercising faith to believe that the Holy Spirit really wants to use us. And we need enough faith to act on the promise. I mean, let's get to where the rubber meets the road in all of this. After these past two years of COVID, many Christians have just given up. Others are too tired that they can't gather any strength to do anything at all. Some can't volunteer for ministry work, can't get the yard work done at their own house, can't deal with any kind of stressors at all. Some say to me, it's just a battle to get out of bed in the morning and go to work. I understand the level of stress that we've been through. But God, in the face of our limitations and disabilities, has promised us a new thing. And new things take energy and excitement and trust and faith. And it may just be that you don't have the ability to muster up any of that. That you don't have the courage or faith of Caleb or Joshua. You want to have that kind of faith, but you're just too tired, too weary, too exhausted at the moment to get there. I have good news for you. In the book of Acts, in the third chapter, when Peter is preaching to the crowd, again, after the Pentecost sermon, he says this to the people who are gathered there. Repent, turn then, and turn to God that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. What's Peter saying? The answer to all of these things, whether we have become faithless, whether we have lost our way, whether we are so weary and exhausted that we can't move forward, is to turn again to Christ, to reach out to the Holy Spirit and to claim his promise so that times of refreshing can come again. He is the answer to all of our perplexing problems, all of our physical and spiritual needs, 
He's the answer to our perspective problems. When all we see are the black blocks and can't find Jesus among them. He's the answer to all of this. And he wants to bring times of refreshing again. There is a way forward for everyone who will believe. But you are going to have to begin to cooperate with the grace of God. And that means starting by believing that there is a way forward by the Holy Spirit and by Christ. If you will trust him, if you will take him at his word, he will send times of refreshing again to our souls. And he will renew us and he will restore us and enable us to walk into the future that he is preparing for us. It takes enough faith to believe that God can restore you and bring you times of refreshing again so that you can cooperate with your own recovery. If you choose to cooperate with his grace, if you choose to believe that God is doing a new thing, if you step into the future based on his promise, regardless of what you see around you, I mean, that really is the crux of the whole matter, isn't it? For Caleb and Joshua, they saw the giants, they saw the walls, but they chose to believe in the power of God to deliver them and deliver on the promise. And some of us have been thinking, there's no way my family can be healed. There's no way this town can look any different. There's no way forward for my friends, or there's no way forward for my marriage, or there's no... We have to look past the obstacles to the promise of a God who's promising us to do a new thing. And if we will trust him and lean into that and pray again and believe together, he will deliver the new thing he has in store for us. But you've got to decide, will you trust him for that? Will you acknowledge your inability to bring about the new thing by yourself? For as long as you're deciding you're going to do this on your own, you're going to have frustration. There's going to be more friction. But when you acknowledge that he is sovereign to bring this new thing and trust him and stand on his promise, then he's able to give us the grace we need to step into his future. I want to encourage you to do that. And if you're saying, Pastor, I don't have the faith to do that, then I say pray and ask for it. Ask him to give you the faith to trust him. Ask him to give you the faith to please him. He will even do that if you trust him. Will you trust him? Let's pray together as we prepare to sing a final song in closing. Heavenly Father, We've been through difficult days together. But we know your power. And we know your promise. And we know that you are infinitely creative. And that you are bringing a new day and doing a new thing. Our confidence is in you. Help us, Lord. Help us. Give us faith to trust. Enable us to stand on your promises. And Lord, give us a sense of the joy 
that will come when we are able to step into the promised land that you have for us. We ask for your help. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Would you stand with me and sing a closing song? Same song we sang last Sunday at the end of the service. King, the same God who never fails will not fail me now. You won't fail me now in the waiting. The same God who's never late is working all things out. Working all things out. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy all my days. Yes, I will. One thing, I count on one thing. The same God that never fails will not fail me now. You won't fail me now in the waiting. The same God who's never late is working all things out. You're working all things out. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley, yes, I will bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy all my days. Yes, I will for all my days. Oh, yes, I will. I choose to pray. The name of all things that nothing can stand against, I choose to praise. Glorify, glorify the name of all things that nothing can stand against, I choose to praise. To glorify, glorify the name of all Nothing can stand against. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Sing for joy. Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy all my days. Oh, yes, I will. I will for all my days. Yes, I will. And now may the Lord grant you faith to trust that he is bringing a new day. May he give you grace 
to believe that he can take you into that new day. And may he enable you by the power of his spirit to embrace that new day with joy. To the glory of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.